All right, y'all. Um, by the way, Tuesday at, we're going to call it 6, 6 to 8, Youth Shindig at the Allen House. Bring your friends, at least bring you, if you would, and we'll feed you and make fun of you and all the important things that happen at youth events. So, yeah, that's to look forward to. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you want to turn there and follow along. So, have you all seen the movie My Girl? If not, your parents didn't love you and you should go home and watch it. Like, the movie My Girl, though, like, it's just based on, it's about this girl named Veda, right? And it's just about Veda's summer adventures in the 70s. And it's about, mostly about her adventures with her friend Thomas J. One afternoon, they're fishing together and Veda cuts her finger on a, on a fish hook. And she says, hey, we could become blood brothers. She tells Thomas J to dig this scab off of his arm. And after a little bit of back and forth, he finally gives. And they take this spot on his arm and her finger and they rub them together. And she says, now we're blood brothers for life. Now in that moment, like, what are they saying to each other? Like, what are they communicating? They're saying to each other, like, hey, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to love you as though you're my family. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we found David and Jonathan communicating something similar, though much more deep and meaningful. Because in chapter 18, they enter into a covenant with each other. Chapter 19, we see this covenant actually start to work itself out a little bit as Jonathan protects David. And now in chapter 20, we are going to see even more the implications of this covenant. We're going to see what covenant meant for them, what it provided for them. But not only them, we're also going to see what covenant means for us and what covenant provides for us. And the three kind of points we're going to hone in on are this. The basis and security of covenant, the uncommon faithfulness of covenant, and the peace of covenant. Now, if you turn to chapter 20 or if it's on the screen, you're probably like, oh no. Yeah, it's long, all right? You'll be fine. We're going to read part of it. I'll summarize a portion, and then we'll finish up reading. Um, Chapter 19 ended like this. David has gone to the prophet Samuel, and they have gone to this community of prophets. And as Saul has come to kill David, um, God intervenes. The Spirit of God overtakes him, strips him naked, and leaves him on the ground. So that's where Saul was left. That's kind of like how chapter 19 ended. So this is where we pick up. You follow along with me as I read in chapter 20 now. It says, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt, and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening." If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, 
then it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, then kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And David said to Jonathan, Well, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, and let us go into the field. And so they both went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But it should it please my father to do you harm. The Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And don't cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. As you go on, here's what we find. We find they go out into the field, and Jonathan tells him, he's like, look, I'm going to feel out this situation for you. And I want you to hide behind this, these stones. I'm going to shoot some arrows, and I'm going to have a little boy go and get them. If I say, hey, the arrows are on this side of you, then you know it's all good, and you can come back. But if I say the arrows are beyond you, you better get out of here. So whenever the feast comes, the first day Saul's like, David must be unclean. It's all good. That's probably why he's not here. He's just unclean. The second day he's not there, he's like, Jonathan, where is he? He's like, well, he asked if he could go back home to do the sacrifice thing with his family. And Saul is less than thrilled. Let's pick up in verse 30 and see how it goes. It says in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? For what has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan called after the boy and said, Hurry, be quick, and do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing, and only David and Jonathan knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them into the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Church, these are the words of God from the mouth of God. And he has given them to us because he loves us, and they are true. The basis and security of covenant. 
So a few years ago, I had a couple friends tell me like, we're getting married. It's like, right on. You should let me officiate your wedding. But here's the problem. I didn't know if I could actually do that or not. So I went and found out like all that's needed to be able to actually do that. Got all my things together, went to the courthouse, filed my paperwork. And from then on, I could legally perform weddings. And so since then, I've got the opportunity to do a handful. And usually what I'll do is beforehand is I'll sit down with the bride and groom-to-be and ask them some questions. One of which is simply this. Why do you want to get married? And every now and then you get an answer that's a little troubling. Like, so she'll quit nagging me. Or because we have a kid together and like this is what you do. Or something like, well, it just seems like the right next thing. And yes, these answers are a little troubling. And these aren't normally the answers you get though. Most of the time what you'll find is that people really desire to be in a deeper, more committed, and even though they wouldn't use this word, a covenantal relationship. And in marriage, we kind of understand this covenantal aspect, right? Because there's vows and there's promises, and we give rings as signs and promises of these things. And while these covenantal aspects are in our mind when we think marriage, they're usually not whenever we think friendship. But as we look at the life, the story, the relationship between David and Jonathan, this is what we find. As we read about their friendship, like, it makes you feel good. It makes you really want a friend like that. But their friendship is not in Scripture to dredge up, like, sentimental feelings, right? The facts, not our feelings, are what are to push the story forward, are what Man, it's what's really supposed to grab us. So if facts, not feelings, are supposed to be the focus, let's think about the facts, about what is going on here. Saul is matter-of-factly looking to end David's life. And the only reason he hasn't succeeded is because God has intervened and kept him from doing so. But despite the fact that Saul hates David, his son feels very different. Jonathan loves David. And he was, loved him so much he was willing to make a covenant with him, and partly in order to protect him. God is the witness and the guardian of this covenant. And their covenant friendship was initiated by love for one another, and it was an expression of that love. No one forced these two to enter into this agreement. And because they weren't forced, it really allowed them to rest in the security that it provided. And it allowed them to freely appeal to the promises that they had made to one another. And that's what we see David do here. In verse 8, he says, You have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord. You know, in their vows, whether it would have been explicitly said or maybe it was more implicit, there would have been an agreement between them like, Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to look out for and protect you. And now David's like, hey, you said you'd do this. You're still good for that, right? In our relationships, we do this, right? I mean, like, that's language that we would use. And this is what, like, we expect of one another and what we should expect of ourselves. Like, in a relationship, like, we should expect people to be honest with us. And people should expect us to be honest with them. 
they should expect us to do what we say. This should be true in any relationship, but how much more so in relationships where we've actually like taken formal vows with one another? Like if you're married, think about your marriage covenant relationship. Like you agree, like I'm going to be honest with you, knowing that at times it's going to make your life harder. But that's part of what vowing to love one another in good times and bad means. In marriage, we promise that we're going to love you love the other person in many different conditions. But so often, if we're honest, man, we fail to do that. And look, we fail to uphold our vows, and that's true whether you get a divorce or whether you stay married. Now there are times, sure. Like, are there times where divorce is permissible? Yeah, man, there absolutely are. And like, I want to acknowledge that so we don't get hung up on that. Do you know in your marriage, there's going to be times where you're going to need to recall the vows that you've taken. You're going to need to ask God, like, man, give me the strength to actually uphold those. You're going to need to ask God, man, give me the strength to ask forgiveness. And sometimes you're going to need to ask for the strength to forgive that other person whenever you feel like there's no part of you that could ever be able to do that. But what if you're not married? You're like, it's great, dude. Doesn't apply to me. What about other relationships where you take vows? Like, what if you're a member of a church? We join membership. We join a membership taking vows that are going to affect other people. And whenever we don't endeavor to live as becomes followers of Jesus, whenever we don't support the church in its worship and work, whenever we push back against the government and discipline of the church, and whenever we fail to work for her purity and peace, we are breaking vows in a relationship that we have willingly entered into. Man, I have done this. Every relationship that I've ever taken vows, I've broken all of them in multiple ways. Like, take my marriage. Whenever you get married, you usually take vows and agree to something like this. Some, you would probably ask something like, Wilt thou love her, honor her, comfort, keep her in sickness and in health, and keep solely to her for as long as you both shall live? When I was asked a question like that, I said yes. And man, I have failed epically. Like today. Because I fail at times to love my bride, to comfort her, to honor her. And in doing so, I've broken the vows of my covenant relationship. In the church, I have failed to live in a manner that becomes a follower of Jesus. I've failed to support the church in its worship and work. I've pushed back against the government of the church, and I've sidestepped my call to work for a peace and purity because at times it was just kind of hard or really just kind of inconvenient, and I'm super selfish. But what about you? They were broken a vow that you've taken. When we break agreements in a covenant relationship, our response shouldn't be to announce our failures, give up, call it off, and walk away. But instead, to repent, to ask forgiveness, and be asking Jesus to, to sanctify us through it, to change us, to make us look more like Him. You know, as we enter into a relationship with any person, we may not think about it in the beginning, but at some level, what do you expect from them? You're kind of expecting them to let you down at some point, right? Like, 
you're great, but you're going to screw it up too. But we don't only expect the bad, right? We also expect some good. In a covenant relationship, we expect loyal love, dependable kindness, and committed affection. Between David and Jonathan, this is what we find. Their relationship was based on it, and it gave them security. Do you think that these things would be true of you? Do you think people that you're in covenant relationships with would say, man, that person loves loyally. Their kindness is dependable, and they are committed in their affection. Do you ever meditate on the fact that, as a believer, this is what Christ has done for you, despite your failings? He's the only one who has perfectly upheld his vows and kept his covenant promises. Living from that reality, this is what we should be working towards in our relationships. These are marks of selflessness, humility, and faithfulness that we see between David and his friend. Their friendship was unlike others in many ways, and this is seen in part by the uncommon faithfulness that they had. You know, I heard a guy say a while back, if you preach in the PCA very often, you have to mention either Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings fairly regularly, or like you're in, like out of bounds according to this unwritten rule. And um, they're not really my bag, so I work them in where I can. So here we go. At the end of the first installment of Lord of the Rings, you find the main character Frodo in a boat. And he's by himself, and he's rowing across a river. And a little ways behind him is his friend Sam. And Sam runs up to the shore, and he's yelling after Frodo. And Frodo's like, turn back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam says, of course you are. And I'm going with you because he's awesome. And Frodo's like, you, you can't swim. Like he's begging his friend to turn around. But Sam, to his credit, continues to charge forward. We find out Sam really can't swim. And so Frodo's faced with, do I let the dude drown or bail him out? So he goes back, pulls him out. And whenever he gets Sam in the boat, Sam says this, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. Because Sam was awesome. And look, there's no formal covenant between these two. But Sam does mention, he's like, but I did make a promise. Sam promised that he would stay with Frodo no matter how hard things got. And man, he did. When do promises usually break down? It's when times get tough. Because it's really easy to be faithful to promises that we made when things are easy, or whenever very little is required of us. But when things get tough, our faithfulness is tried. In the friendship of David and Jonathan, Jonathan's faithfulness has been proven, tested and proven already. And here, David's calling on it again. Probably with more confidence, he's like, It's a solid dude right there, and he holds up his end. In verse 10, he asked Jonathan, Feel out the situation with Saul. Communicate it back to me. And let's be real. Here's what what David's asking. Jonathan, I need you to protect my life. I need you to protect the life of the guy who is going to take the throne from your father. Even though everyone from the outside looking in would say, That should be your rightful place. 
despite that, I need you to look out for me. And Jonathan says yes. In the history of humanity, how uncommon do you think that question and that answer paired together would be? But inherent in covenant is the promise of uncommon faithfulness, the promise to stick around when 99% of everyone else would bail. Here we see these two make a vow, and they invoke God as the guardian of it. Jonathan promises David, I'll keep you safe. He swears his loyalty to him, and he even looks forward to the future implications that this arrangement might have. In verse 15, look what he says. He says, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David for from the earth. And in 16, he asked, he asked the Lord to take vengeance on David's enemies. Who, who's David's enemy? It's Saul. It's the dude who is like sending like groups of men over and over to go and off this dude. And then whenever they fail, he's like, I'll just go do it myself since y'all can't seem to get it done. But Jonathan knows and says, he's like, look, David's enemies will never triumph over him. And he's aware of this fact. Because I am a member of Saul's household, I am by default an enemy of David. But because of their covenant promises, he feels feels safe. He feels the freedom to ask this question, to ask this request. Show me your steadfast love and not just me, but my descendants that follow. As we continue on to look in the life of David, we'll see David gets an opportunity to hold up his end to this promise. And to his credit, he does. But that's, who knows, probably years away at this point. Just let's call it what it is. Look, this request that he makes, it seems uncommon simply because it is. Yet, as believers, do we not look to God and appeal to a covenant that has been made? The covenant made by Christ. Do we not say things like, God, I know that one day all of your enemies will be destroyed, and I by nature am one of those. Yet because of the steadfast love and uncommon faithfulness of Jesus, do not destroy me. Save me and continue to show me your steadfast love. You know, whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, that part that says, your kingdom come, do you know part of what's packed into that? God, come and destroy all of your enemies so that your kingdom alone will stand. We, like Jonathan, know that one day we will see the enemies of the true king defeated. And we must appeal as he did to this. True king, show me your steadfast love. Throughout all of history, this is what God has done. Show us his love and faithfulness. And this is perhaps most evident in the covenants that he has not only made but upheld. Genesis 3.15, God promises Adam and Eve, I'm going to send you a Messiah. Genesis 12.15-17, he says, Abraham, you old man with no children. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. In Exodus 19 to 34, he says, Moses, I am making you a promise. I will be your God. Y'all will be my people. And in 2 Samuel 7, he says, David, a member of your household will reign forever. And God has been faithful to all of these promises. And we see their yes and their fulfillment in Jesus. We now as believers can appeal to God's covenant in confidence, because he's the one who has made it. It's not us. God is the one who has made it. He is the one that guards it, and he is the one who proves himself faithful. He has proven himself faithful to a degree that even Jonathan, as awesome as he was, and he was, like, for real, but as awesome as he was, he could never approach the degree of faithfulness that God has shown us. 
Christian, are you relying on the faithfulness of God? If you're honest, do you ever doubt it? So if you're honest, man, if we're being for real, like most of us would, I think, have to say yes at times. Yeah, I do. And in those moments, we should be asking God for a greater degree of faith, to believe in his faithfulness. We should meditate on, we should consider the way God has not only been faithful to us as individuals, but to his people throughout all of history. And not only that, may I encourage you when your faith wavers, look to the signs of the covenant that God has made with you. Look to your baptism. Consider the special favor that God has shown you and that you get to know him and be a part of his church. Look to the sign of communion that Christ has given us. Let it be a way for your faith to be strengthened as you consider what Jesus sacrificed on your behalf and the way he is now sustaining you as you go. In our text, we see that the covenant between David and his friend had security. It exercised uncommon faithfulness. And lastly, we see it brought peace. As Jonathan feels out this situation with Saul, it becomes clear that Saul has an irrational hatred for David. It is deep-rooted and is burning within him. And it is so strong, it has now spilled over to the point where he's even tried to kill his own son. Jonathan realized there is no safety to be had for my friend, and David must go into hiding. But before he goes, we see one more interaction between the two. Jonathan goes out in the field with the boy. He fires the arrows and calls out words that you know probably crushed him to have to say. The arrows are beyond you. Because there is so much in there that only those two know. But even saying that, he's like, my friend, you have to go. And I don't know if I will ever get to see you again. And as David emerges then from behind these stones, it says the two of them weep and embrace one another. Have you ever had to say goodbye to a friend that you were like, I don't know if and when I'll ever see you again? Or have you ever, like, in a moment realized that a friendship you held dear has just become exponentially more complicated for whatever reason? If you know either one of those feelings, you can probably empathize with these two a little bit. You can probably feel their sadness to a degree. And in an age with no phones, no internet, no good mail system, these two don't know when when they'll get to see each other or even get to communicate with each other again. But there's even more to it than that. Because here's what's looming over both of them. It's this reality that Saul will be plotting. That just because David's gone, it is not over. He will be plotting the life of David and now maybe the life of Jonathan as well. And in this sad moment as David prepares to leave, his friend gives him something. Look in verse 42. What does he say? Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord. Jonathan offers his friend peace. He's not saying, David, go, man. It's going to be fine. No, he is saying, my friend, you can go with the security that there is peace between you and I. In the midst of a tumultuous time marked by the unknown, David could know there was peace between he and Jonathan because covenant provides peace in the middle of confusion. It was true for them and it's true for us. In the life of a believer, no matter what we face, we can have peace. It doesn't mean things will always be easy. It doesn't mean that danger isn't actually there. But because of the covenant that God has made with his people, we can have confidence 
that Christ is still for us, that our relationship with Him is secure, and that His love for us is unwavering. Christian, do you look to Jesus for peace in every season? At the end of Mark chapter 5, there's no end in Mark chapter 5, it's in the middle. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals this bleeding woman. And as she goes, he looks at her and says this, Daughter, go in peace. Christian, do you hear Jesus saying that to you? Son, daughter, you can go about your life in peace because I have healed everything that is wrong. I have paid for everything that needed paid for, and I will be with you wherever you go. In our text this, this morning, we have seen Jonathan, the son of the king, we have seen him be shamed by his father and an attempt be made on his life. And he endured all of this in order to protect and save God's anointed. In the Gospels, we see Christ, God's anointed one, be willing to be shamed and willingly give up his life so that you and I might become sons and daughters of the true king. And because of the covenant that he has secured, we can have lasting peace and we can rest in steadfast love. In our text, we see Jonathan convey a message to his friend by shooting these arrows and yelling this message. And as David comes from behind the stones, he does so with little or no hope. But in the Gospels, we see Christ emerge. We see him emerge from the stone tomb and with him bringing hope for all those who trust in him. As David went away, he went away from his home, his family, his friends. And he went holding on to a promise that had been made to him. There is peace between you and I. In the Gospels, we see Jesus physically leave the earth. And as he did, he gave us a promise to hold on to. I will return for you. David had the uncommon love of a friend. But we have the uncommon love of a steadfast, peace-giving, covenant-keeping God who promises that he will be our God, that he'll make us his people, that he'll save us, he'll sanctify us, he'll come back for us, he'll glorify us, and he will give us a home where we can reign with him for all eternity. Christian, are you resting in the covenant promises of your God? Are you looking to the covenant signs that he has given you to strengthen your faith? He is the one that provides us with security. He is the one who is uncommonly faithful, and he is the one who brings peace to his people. Let our faith be in him alone, and let us look to him and be strengthened by him now as we prepare to come to the table that he's set before us. Let us pray. God, we love you, and we thank you, more importantly, that you love us. We thank you that you have made the covenant, that you guard it, um, that you keep up your end of it because we cannot keep up ours. We thank you that you paid, that we paid the debt, that you paid the debt that we couldn't. We ask that you would increase our faith. Let us truly believe that you are faithful. And let, let us live in light of that. And may it begin to work itself out in all of our relationships. Pray now as we come to the table that we would be not only encouraged, but nourished and strengthened by it. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for Christ. And we bring all this before the throne in his name. Amen.